1: Welcome onto to the uh, Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself and your company?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Jason Radisson, uh, founder and CEO of a company called Movo. Movo is a real-time, massive platform for frontline work, for all things related to frontline work, and enables large teams to be hired, to be deployed at scale in organizations Working in healthcare, working in energy, working in retail, and, and many other sectors.
1: Right. And and how did you get into this? What was what was the spark?
2: You know, I have been active throughout my career on labor topics and particularly ones relating to sort of technology and, and large teams. I, I studied economics, uh, in particular, with kind of a. A labor and development focus. And I've been working whether large blue chip companies in their frontline workforces or in the gig economy for a number of years. Those were all topics that were very interesting to me. And I think as some of my experiences in the gig economy, I saw that there were were gaps and things that we could do. There were were win-win, for sure, win-win situations possible. And I sort of set out to build a company that would take those gig economy technologies, but improve upon them and, and, above all, improve on the deployment of technology so that workers could also get ahead and that people could have a family-supporting wage and, and family-supporting career in the frontline workforce. So that was really the inspiration.
1: And it's interesting to be up the gig economy because that, to begin with, was sort of the empower the person to, to do their own thing in their own time. Without all the rigmarole bureaucracy of working in a corporate, to almost becoming a human rights violation in some respects. With some, you know, if you look, if you look at some of the, the Uber drivers and, and and how they were, and in fact, I've got a story of someone in, in South Africa that I know, you know, who's basically at the at the mercy of of an algorithm with no rights, yeah. no protections, but also with some with some stuff that's very seasonal, uh, having the ability to onboard and offload workers with some some process some automation i could see the huge benefits to that uh, and i think about sort of some of the sporting events we have a temporary staff for six months
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they go offline to come back again in six months you know how do you make that useful i don't know if any of those resonate yeah. to to what you've set out or what you've seen with, with what you're doing
2: yeah yeah totally well i think it at, at the crux of the issue is people need different things you know there are certainly. Folks who are looking for that kind of flexibility, who want to work part time or want to work seasonally, there's another group of folks who really do just want to get ahead and, and want a full time, a full time career. And and I think that's a little bit of where the platforms were particularly good for companies and, and and not always not always so great for workers. You know, as we look at it, and I think that's a big part of the opportunity, right? If you sort of say. You know, as we did when we were when we were starting the company, what's the best application of this technology for full time careers, full time you know well paying jobs? Uh, that's where I say it, you know it's sort of evolved because largely what we've been doing the last couple of years is just sort of plugging gaps in the supply chains and. Helping people literally stay fed. We've done a lot of work in food manufacturing and dark stores, uh, and, and a lot of the infrastructure behind getting food to people uh, throughout the pandemic. I think as it's evolved, you know, we're now in this phase where largely what's happening is we're just dealing with these chronic shortages. So, you know, if you look at the developed world, we just have less people entering the workforce and more people retiring than we ever had before. Mm. Uh, And it's not going to get any better for the next, you know, foreseeable future, i.e., you know, 10 plus years. And so really what that means is we're all going to have to sort of deploy ourselves, our our working talents, sort of the resources in society in the more equitable and in a more optimized way. And I think the way you do that, to put a word on it, is travel jobs. I think, you know, we're about to see a boom in in travel work and travel careers and exactly that. It's a little bit the opposite of what's going on with remote work. But, you know, literally the work is going to be where the work is. If you look at the U.S., mm. it's in really large cities, you know, where the population centers. And yet people work everywhere. And I think that's where you're going to see the engineer, the technician, the nurse who's working locally, will have the opportunity to get on a plane and earn the national level wage, which might be 50% higher than where they are locally. And I think it's just going to be a broader societal trend, particularly the pull mm. that we have and the demand we have on, on healthcare on, on that side and, and really clean energy and the energy transformation in our country. Uh, I think it's just massive, massive opportunity. So I, I, think, I think that's what that's what ultimately happens. We're very excited about that transition and sort of our ability as a platform to help employers with that problem, and on the other side, help the person who, as a professional, is kind of dealing with opportunities locally, sort of get visibility into national level opportunities, level up, and, and you know take off in their career.
1: I think it's a great analogy. Uh, one of the benefits of having this pandemic, where everyone was forced to work from home, and obviously, we, you know, we never discount those that died and and the tough times that people went through, is that everyone yeah. got the level up on technology that they could actually do. For the most part, not every job is, is, is remote working, but for the most part, there were jobs that could be done remotely. It could always been done remotely, but because of archaic mentalities, you had to be in the office, or forced to be in the office. I mean, I'm not just saying you shouldn't be, you know, there's that hybrid view, which I think is the way forward. But, you know, you you realized very quickly that you were limiting your talent pool by only hiring next to your office or within driving distance. And you could literally, you know, nowadays hire someone in two, three hours time zone difference from you, either direction with the benefits of potentially being a cheaper resource because they're not, you know, living in a first world country with first world pressures. And, and also because they are, in, you know, I've just come back from South Africa and, and, you know, you see it there, you know, you can pay that person really well, but by Western standards, it's not that it's, it's not nearly the same number, but they live very well yeah. in their economy. And, and I think that's the interesting thing. So you know, having something like your platform that could potentially bridge the, the gaps in legislation, regulation, all those things when you're bringing somebody on uh, and also off- offloading because that'll happen too, I think that's a huge help, and it just takes away the noise of doing it uh, or the friction.
2: Totally, and with us um, hiring because we've <laughs> we were you know in that in that pandemic mode and and really workers were so scarce in in some of the roles we engineered hiring down to to literally a few clicks and it's a very it's very for most hr teams it's a very different experience it's you send somebody a link and they download an app that that essentially has the job and all of the onboarding process Mm. uh you know as the payload and your professional candidate goes and in five minutes basically hires themselves it's a, it's a very different, uh, modality from where most people are coming from, but they, you know, it is. We, we're coming from exactly that sort of goal of like, let's engineer all of the friction out of somebody starting a good job. Once oh. they're on the platform, they can, they can move around and, you know, you get mm-hmm. of that visibility, which I think is another piece that we're kind of getting into today. And people look at load balancing in a city. I've got all of my different stores and distribution centers in Atlanta and I should be able to, Kind of move people between schedules and between sites based on what's going on in the business and based on who's sick and you know who's got vacation time coming up and these kinds of things and you know that's another sort of very modern application for our platform where we just again want to kind of engineer all that friction out and i think as we kind of step back from the tech it ultimately ends up being good for society and, and good for the workforce because you're just there it's 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 there's nothing in the way there's not human bias in the way there's there's not out frankly algorithmic bias either it's just who is is ready and and able to do the work gets more work on the platform and and sort of has more flexibility on the platform than they could otherwise
1: yeah i think that, you know skills-based or experience-based work allocation is, is a I often talked about concept, but I, I don't think anyone really does it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, you, you should be able to do it because because the, the, the data is usually there or the information is usually there. But yeah. I think going back to yeah. your point about onboarding, there was a study done, and I, and I can't remember who did it. I'm going to say Microsoft, but it probably wasn't them. might have been Forrester. Uh, yeah. That the experience of a worker in their onboarding process is really, the, is really the, the decision point to whether they stay on long-term and become a motivated employee or they leave in the short term, or they stay, or they, leave, they stay in the long term, but they, they're always a demotivated employee. And it's and it's amazing that that little first contact can have such a such a widespread impact on on that aspect.
2: Totally, totally. Yeah, we've kind of we we've ended up in you know a lot of trial and error. Some of the things, some of the lessons and playbooks that we carried forward, you know, from Uber and some of the other places that we worked. But our experience has become, you know, essentially, we, we provide access to a huge pool of people. Um, you know, we've got jobs that when we're running hot, we'll have 5,000 applications a day. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, we'll provide access to all 5,000. And ultimately, by the time you get through a funnel and people figure out what schedule they can or can't work and everything, we end up with a, with a large orientation class. And that's really how we've sort of worked things, and that's it's a little bit of a process reengineering with our clients. But but essentially, what we're saying is, don't bog down the process with steps, and and really don't stretch out the time. Like nobody mm. nobody benefits from a two week hiring process, or or from having your recruiting team take a week to get back to people and schedule an interview and this kind of thing. Uh, it just really just has the top performers drop out. Um, really what you want to do is get everybody started. And then our modality has been we have an orientation session, we'll do large group orientation sessions and hiring managers can go there. The new workforce can kind of get a feel for the working environment. And then generally, you know, up to 50% of them will drop out after that process. They'll sort of get that orientation, get a feel for the working environment for that day and, and the culture of the team and these other things. And we found that doing that process is 10x, 15x, Mm. many, many a factor, at least a, a step change in the productivity of sort of your hiring function. And it's, I think for a lot of teams, it's just, it's akin to the process that we had in the gig economy. And I think for a lot of traditional businesses, it's part of, you know, some of the things that are just very different from how they're used to doing business. Ultimately, we wouldn't, you know, have gotten to this point if it weren't extremely successful. And, you know, that's a, one of the things that we've been doing kind of throughout the pandemic is we've been able to deliver teams when others, frankly, haven't been able to. And I, I, I think the the process in and of itself, uh, as you mentioned, is a, is a big, big part of it.
1: I mean, I've worked in some corporates and I remember one specifically where I got a, an email account. I started the Monday, I had, I had access to Tuesday and that was shock. There was guys that had been there for a month that hadn't got their, Email mailbox and you're kind of going how do you get the how can it be, yeah. can it be the case you know a month right Employing right from you know how, what do you do for a month um, right right you know that that just sets the, of the rock yeah. so yeah you know within 24 hours you totally. should be up and running i would, I would think how, how have you i mean do you own the entire process or do you integrate into a business's already available infrastructure
2: we we can integrate there's there's you know usually not much advantage to integrating is what I would say. So I guess the way I would describe it is we have a modular process. So we have a core process where there's there's kind of no, no friction in the onboarding you know as mentioned, in, including we're doing a bunch of you know if there are compliance regulatory credentialing checks, we do them in the background. Um, mm-hmm. as fast as those databases run, uh, you know so depending on the background check standards or the nursing licensing uh, and credentialing standards mm. um, those things can can run in a few seconds they can run in a few minutes we try to get everybody essentially the vast majority of the candidate flow to be sort of instantly credentialed and hired and then from that point if there are things that one of our employers need differently, we add it essentially as an extra step. And we always caveat it. And for, for those of your listeners who are, are e-commerce folks, they'll, they'll recognize this from shopping behavior. Like any extra step means that half your people leave the pipeline um, yeah. is the good rule of thumb. So we always do that with extreme caution. You know, we kind of say, we spent uh, a couple of years getting this process, you know, engineered to, to optimum but we did we do realize it's you know there are there are additional things that folks need and we've had to build it that way because we're in a couple of countries and in a couple of different jurisdictions and there are just there are things that you need and you know assets so we we'll, we'll have you know employers have those extra steps but but yeah we we try to avoid you know we don't really want to in the onboarding process have an ERP integration that costs you know two days of run time or have to schedule uh, a meeting with the hiring manager who's only only available every second Friday. Um, Mm. Just anything that sort of detracts. We I said, we usually come with the data and and tell our clients. Yeah. You know, if you want to build a process so that you have 80% less, uh, you know, high caliber uh, uh, starts, you know, we'd be happy to do that, but we think you're going (laughs) to like this process uh, the way we built it.
1: And I mean, do you keep, I'm just curious, now, do you keep resources on your books, even if, they ha- even if they're no longer with one of your clients, for that burning need to almost connect them? Not, not necessarily recruitment, but probably is recruitment in, in a sense.
2: Yeah, I think um, throughout the pandemic, we had uh, just a massive professional services presence mm. um, because we were we were backfilling and helping clients. and you know, all kinds of, of crazy situations. I think where we are now, it's more of we from time to time help out clients with a fast start. But our goal really is to have the client with our platform and, and with some support quickly get to a position where they have the self-sustaining talent acquisition and, and, and engagement programs. And they're just a lot, you know, sort of their, their frontline workforce is just a lot healthier because of it. Um, yeah. You know, and, and these are they, they are long-term benefits, you know, once you get a really nice and 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 sort of self-supporting, right? It's if you have a much better hiring process, then you know, sort of your scores in all of the channels will go up a lot, you know, from Glassdoor to Indeed uh, and any of the, the others, you know, you'll start to see those those improvements in job boards and ratings and employer ratings out there. And then, you know, you if you you are managing a lot of candidates at scale, you'll do a lot better in SEO um, around the job categories that are important to you. So we, we sort of help clients also on a very macro level kind of level up on their talent acquisition. And, uh, you know, ideally, we don't really want to be there as the long term outsourced labor partner. We really more mm. want to get the clients to a spot where they're sustainable.
1: No, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, pick the battles you want to be in, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. with, with the product and, and how you've built it. I mean, you know, I'm going through your deck here and it's, there's a, there's a lot to it. I mean, what was the, mm-hmm. what was the part that, that, you know, got you going and 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 how is that led into the other pieces that, that I'm seeing here? So you've got the automation and marketplace for HR, the frontline workforce management, obviously the upskilling automation and then yeah. payments. I mean, how, how does that all fit together maybe as well
2: well the product vision from the very beginning my vision was that you had to have an end to end real time marketplace you know and i mean i'm using marketplace kind of in the you know in the in the, the the capitalized m version you know it had to be this this online system where supply and demand could meet and and be optimized at any time, in real time, at any location, and I think if you if you sort of come from that framework, you've got to build a lot of plumbing before you know you kind of get to that point. So, a lot of what we've done is sort of foundational tech for you know let's call it real real time HR. I don't know if that's you know really out there in most people's minds, uh, you know, in terms of what we're doing, but and I would argue that Uber is a real time HR platform, uh, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, you have to, you have to build that. So, you know, you need a a really efficient way for, for demand to get onto the system, which basically, you know, you need smart scheduling. You need some really good tools to put schedules into the system. Uh, and you need, need really efficient ways for workers to come to the platform. And, and then you need a bunch of optimization, yield management, uh, a bunch of collaborative filtering. There's a lot of kind of groundwork technology they have to build first. So that was the vision all along. In order to sort of do the crawl, walk, run, we first built talent acquisition. We first built hiring and onboarding, and and job matching, um, and then we kind of expanded from there. It's been you know it's been quite a journey. I would say uh, I'm generally not shy as a technologist. Um, you know, I, I've built ride sharing platforms, I've built massive platforms in the cybersecurity industry with hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. I think what is so awesome and so challenging about this particular build is, you know, at Movo, we've had to, we've had to sort of land a feature set that is broadly applicable for the front line and, I think it's it's the change management as well. These aren't these aren't internal Uber or Roppy or Delivery Hero resources who are operations research trained startup folks that are running the platform. We've got to build it in a way that is broadly applicable, and you know your HR operations team can drop in and run the platform. Uh, your plant managers, you know, with little or no training, can drop drop in and run the platform. That's been, you know, the additional UX work and and what's very different about this build.
1: Very interesting. The you mentioned the UX piece. I mean, what has changed? You said it's different. What what is different?
2: Yeah. So I, I mean, I think you mean in terms of in terms of functionality or, or UX or.
1: Well, well, you mentioned that it's been different to to from yeah. before. So so what's been different? Oh,
2: just yeah, yeah. So you know, I think I think when you're running. A, plat- a marketplace that's only for your company internally and, yeah. and not you know not the gig economy marketplaces don't have external users but but you know no one no one ever sort of tried to package the uber engine room and then sell it to an airline you know um, so yeah. there's 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 sort of the the internal workings of how a a massive real-time platform work you know we're we're sort of Tilling a lot of new ground there in terms of what the UX should be like, uh, and making those tools broadly accessible to a much broader corporate audience, and and I think that's that's very different, right? Because really, the last time uh, a major corporate audience got got sort of trained on new technologies, we had we had desktop, right? We had sort of like mm. desktop applications. We had ERP broadly, you know, most of the corporate world knows how to use some form of ERP system at this point. Uh, but we haven't had a moment yet where we've sort of trained the corporate, the corporate world to work in a real time massive platform. Uh, and I think it's, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, you know, an inspiration is maybe developer tools and and it's not the tip technical part of developer tools, but more of the, the, involvement and engagement um with with sort of bigger levers um you know like uh, for instance in in our world somebody sitting in headquarters at one of the biggest retailers in the world can can issue a task to 17,000 people to put up holiday decorations and have it come back live completed geostamped in a live dashboard and and watch the returns come in for the next two hours you know depleting inventory and and just you know it's just we have a very you know and we call that an hr system um it's a it's a a very different set of tools and so i think i think you know what's what's definitely different about about this is um is 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 that we have uh we have our, our our corporate users who um who are, are getting to experience uh, this really cool tech, you know? And it's it's really our jobs to put it in the right UX and to put the right training and onboarding for them uh, around it too.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you explained that because I was trying to work out what was different. Now, now, now yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> my, I was thinking about the sort of Peoplesofts and the Seps and the you know those interfaces that you'd work in as an employee, yeah. and, and they're you know for one of a better term, are disgusting to work with. Um, this is much. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm envisioning your Uber, your Uber sort of interface, which I'll be honest, I opened for the first time this week in a long time, and I was shocked to see the amount of services available. And I'm kind of thinking it's like the same thing, where you're, you've got this the ability to use a new yeah. service straight away, and it's and it's that intuitiveness and and that modern commercial experience. where yeah. I want to order a cup of coffee before I get to the coffee shop. I can order it, so I get there, it's, it's ready. Uh, yeah. In the same token, I want to book my leave. It, it needs to be approved straight away. Or I need to be told straight away that I'm, before I even book it, that there's clashes or, you know, there's some sort of key person logic that's built in or, or set up, you know, that you can't have people out totally. the office at the same time or whatever it is. You know, all those things that are almost impossible to do and in, in, in what I call the legacy applications, you know, and, and, and I, hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that that use case of of getting 17,000 people to go and put up decorations. As a task, yeah. because that's normally handled as you know, some email or some chat, you know, filtered down
2: exactly, exactly. You know,
1: slowly and surely.
2: Yep, yep. Cool. The delegation of that task and 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 the timekeeping on that task. That task um, is an intelligent object in our system. It has all the information it has, geostamping and time stamping. And if uh, a store manager wants to farm it out to an independent contractor for an hour. Um, that contractor can check that item out and check it back in when it's completed and attach the pictures. And that can all roll up to the headquarter reporting uh, and we see our completion rates. So, you know, it's just uh, there's, I think that's, you know, and, and you know, we, I think common metaphors we use are things like, like Twitch or, you mm-hmm. know, like Minecraft or you know, if uh, you know you're a cyclist or a runner like the Strava's and the Zwift's and those kinds of things, uh, it is is we're, we're sort of putting this this sort of massive community layer uh, on top of your organization. Um, yeah. You know, as I said, for any of our clients that have, you know, really, it begins at a 1000 workers, but really you sort of get the full benefit if you've got a really big front line, like 10,000 plus um, is where the platform really shines.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine, and and I'm looking at the the one thing that caught my eye here is in your Movo payments, you've got a virtual currency that is used to purchase goods and services. Now, how did that? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we're we're we've got some roadmap and and we've got some early features on what I broadly call uh, the the professional sort of the professional off the clock uh, functionality, and and some of them are really basic like. Um, you know, say I'm in a high trust environment. Say I'm a, a, a night, uh, I'm a nurse on the night shift at a particular hospital. Um, I might want to coordinate with the other people who are on that floor. Um, you know, there might be, there might not just be two shifts uh, on that floor because we might be working three by twelves or something like that, or four by twelves. So there might actually be five, six, seven, eight shifts on my floor. Mm-hmm. Um, i might want to coordinate with all those guys i might want to you know be able to casually message them i might want to be able to swap shifts with them uh, i might want to be able to interact with them socially and just kind of follow up on whoever's getting some new training um, i might want to be able to informally have some things uh around sort of patient experience um so that was sort of where we started because it's Our our product already sort of from the very beginning had good, robust communication chat and chat groups and and whatnot embedded for your live team, the the folks you work with and and your supervisors. Um, And then we expanded to the adjacent teams. And now we're adding another layer, which is basically giving access and information and the ability to follow people who aren't even at your workplace. Um, so, you know, I'm that nurse on, on, on night shift. I can follow somebody, you know, across the country, working in a different group in a different environment, casually and and get information and kind of playbooks about maybe some techniques that they're using on the job, maybe some training that they're going through and career opportunities that they're seeing in California that I'm not seeing in my local market. Um, so we want to enable all of that stuff. And part of the core that goes with that is also being able to have sort of experience on the platform and levels on the platform. And we're we're developing both virtual currency but also experience points. We do both in a bit of a different way right now, but as the features continue to emerge, we're going to have it be more robust in the sense that you'll be able to use that virtual currency to buy different things and potentially to enhance you know, let's say shift swapping and schedule changes and other things like that, and potentially use it for training and upskilling on the platform. Uh, so I, I mentioned the same breath as as experience points because experience points are really sort of a big part of what we were talking earlier about having an unbiased uh, mm. sort of, uh, view on who's doing what on the platform. That comes from you know I share an anecdote when we were. When we were in the ride sharing business, uh, a couple of the early 10 team members and myself, we had this, and, and this will make a lot of sense after I explain it, but like we had this way of sort of getting to special assignments. And, and for us, a special assignment was anything from policy related, there's a VIP, maybe the governor, maybe somebody around the governor, maybe somebody you know, in in a political job, an elected official in in the state that we're operating in, uh, who needs a favor of this, that, or the other. And obviously, they pay for the service and whatever, but you don't want to just send them a random driver. And, you know, nor is it super fair to sort of pick your favorites. And, and the approach that we had was on the city teams, our city teams would select the very best drivers in the city by our performance metrics so Mm. ratings over time experience points on the platform essentially hours times ratings and if you pick the top top of the file they're extremely talented people Um, and we would sort of deploy them anytime uber's very sort of was also known for stunts you know we do things with helicopters and other programs like that. And, and same thing, we always go from the top of the file. And I think that's, broadly speaking, when you look at a lot of frontline work, one of the fairest ways that we can evaluate people. It's not one supervisor's say over you, it's, it's a pool of feedback that develops over time in the rating system. And then it's your experience points in that role, in that particular skill set um, that we're really looking to. So. That's a that's a big part of, of where we're going overall with social interaction on the platform and kind of this ability to enable performance management at massive scale, and frankly, access at massive scale. Our algorithms already have a really solid idea of who's good for what job uh, because of the amount of skill matching we do and because of the outcome data that we have. We, See who has done really well at the job and who hasn't. And we can, of course, map it back and, and are continually improving our algorithms based on that information. And as we look forward to more sort of training offering, we're working with some third parties to bring additional training offerings onto the platform. If we look at deploying people around the country, all of that sort of career pathing it all has a really great basis in unbiased math, um, and and mm-hmm. that's really sort of the direction that that we're going with the platform and and with you know some of these things like virtual currency and some of the other programs.
1: And and that's just going back to your your view on on the top people. Is that feedback from from other people as well to say that, you know Joe Blogs did the right thing here, they're great, or is it how are you measuring it? I mean, I guess is the the crux of the question.
2: Yeah, you know, most of it is informed. If you really wanted to simplify it, these days, in most frontline professions, it would it would literally be. You can simplify. Probably ninety percent of it is driven by time and enroll. There are some other behavioral things like attendance, um, sort of time and timeliness enroll, and sort of the frontline professionals who accrue the most hours are generally the best and and it's sort of they have better access to schedules because they're doing a really good job and they're they're working in the the work environment that they're working in they're getting a lot of work done they're not necessarily the most vocal if you you know it it really kind of takes all of sort of the you know i would say uh, interviewing sort of Uh, subjective performance management kind of out of the picture. And there's a little bit of subjectivity. You could argue that, you know, we're never going to have it completely take all of the subjectivity out of it, but it's sort of the amalgam of all of the different people that are interacting with that person, right? So if if, if a nurse is doing really well at a hospital, he is going to get a lot of hours and they're also going to have really good attendance and these kinds of things. The ratings are are sort of secondary in that. The last 10 or 20% is sort of the cumulative effect of all the ratings. So if you've been rated by 30 different people and have the most hours worked on the platform at that point in that particular role, chances are pretty good you're a good performer. Um, mm. And the inverse is true. If somebody drops into a role and they only stick it out for a day or two, you know, and we know that everyone else is doing fine in that role at that particular facility we've also got a really good read that there's something about that person and that fit with that job so it's you know it seems and i don't want to overly reduce it but but it but it's less complex than than a lot of folks would kind of make it out to be assuming that you know you've got good skill compatibility and that's Sort of easy enough to filter out, particularly in more skilled roles. They are either coming into the job with years of experience in the job or they're not. And once you kind of get past that hurdle and the basic competence and licensing and lack of sort of disciplinary measures and the other things that we screen for, you know, once you get to there, you can almost boil it down, as said, to like sort of productive hours in the role working with us. And by that point, we have a really good read. And, you know, maybe to put a finer point on it, that's when we think about resume, that to us is the resume of the future, at least as far as the front line is concerned, because there's really no reason that you shouldn't have a digital file with your work history anymore. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be a piece of paper, self-reported with a bunch of bullet points on it. It should, and it can literally be the digital record of your employment. And we've got that kind of data. You know, we've we've got it very much in the manufacturing environment also, um, very much in the logistics environment. Uh, a high-performing picker walks miles during the shift. A lower-performing one doesn't. You know, the job's not for everyone. Uh, you know, a packer is stationary. And, you know, if a person can't walk, we we would assign them as a packer or, or hire them as a packer, not a picker. But, but there are these, you know, they're just data characteristics of people who are doing the job really, really well. And that's part of our promise too is once you're working for a mobile company and it's not every employer, you know, wants this in the same way or, or, but we have the option and we do generally offer the option for an employee to take their entire employment file with them. And those are those. Those credentials are all verified. They've all been third-party third verified. It's us, in essence, sort of putting our seal on the envelope uh, containing all of the credentials and any of the work history. And certainly we do that for any of our direct employees, and uh, we have a number of employers that that also support the program.
1: Yeah, but that makes a, a huge amount of sense. I mean, I'm thinking about, obviously, People that live in the, the sort of knowledge worker frame where you've got your LinkedIn profile is pretty much your main CV, and then you would have the PDF word version, etc. But all that stuff is subjective. It's whatever, you, whatever you've reported. But you've got the yeah. data, I guess, in order to make it less subjective and more objective. Um, and I, and I yeah. like that you've simplified it down to some key simple metrics. Um, that, that sort of is relevant to the to the job. You know, you'd know if someone was doing the job because they would, you know, have these sort of behaviors. Yeah. I wish it was that simple for so many other roles, to be quite honest. Um <laughs> well, yeah, it's, must, it's
2: yeah. yeah. Totally. I was just gonna add it's sort of the 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 predictive version, the it's the mirror image of quiet quitting or or you know of the retention and engagement problems we've been having, uh, I think broadly in the economy. Essentially, our platform is predicting who is going to be an engaged, good worker. Yeah, and we're able to do that super early in the application process. So you know, it's just it's just super helpful. And and like I said, it can be reduced. It, you know, it's not just attendance, but it it's also it's not a it's not a seven hundred variable model by any means.
1: No, no, and, and it you know it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, I was thinking about you know, developers, and and you know, is a, is, a, is a good developer someone that writes less code or someone that writes more code? It, it, you can't really say it either way, um, and and yeah, you know, you can you can say about quality as well. Is it is it how many bugs are returned through the process? You know, to the, right. you know all those sorts of things. There's, right. there's no it, that's where it gets a bit murky because um, there's so yeah. many parts of the, the value chain. But frontline, yeah, I think I you've think- got less of that.
2: Totally, totally. I think on, on you know, on uh, on knowledge workers, the corollary would be, it wouldn't be lines of code, it would be, it would be sort of application footprint. Um, sure. And, you know what I mean, if, if you looked at the number and impact of the features that developer had developed and pushed, and their success out there in the market would probably be about the closest. Frontline is, it's a lot more straightforward and and that's Mm. ultimately we are very interested in sort of the subjectivity of that working environment. You may have an equally qualified surgical nurse who really works out in one facility and really doesn't work out in the other one. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't serve anybody well if we're putting people into roles that they don't fit well uh, to. So we, we, and we do want to remove sort of individual bias and, you know, uh, other things from the process, but, but we do ultimately, our platform is, is trying to help people fit and, and succeed. And, um, you know, and, and obviously they have multiple, multiple chances where we're going to try to find the right slot. And then even once a person has started with an employer, we want to enable, as we were speaking, that internal mobility and really kind of remove Frictions on internal mobility, so that people can kind of be put into the best possible fit internally. Um, Hmm. So we have a kind of a much more practical. In there, you know, there's a lot of tech out there. You know, you know, can I can I get a better reading of my internal employees based on their social media data and other things that I would I would sort of say data to sort of feed human processes. And our our sort of approach is that's all well and good, but if it doesn't result in, in a better outcome, if it doesn't result in, you know, my nurses being assigned better internally, then it's nice to have. It's nice that HR now has better data, but, <laughs> you know, our system fundamentally is trying to, to make all of this very easy to action on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the the thing that I, I think about with what you've been saying is that this is this is plugging so many holes and I know you mentioned sort of thousand users and and I guess that, that depends on not so much pricing, but just applicabilities to some of the functionality. Um, yeah. I mean is your yeah. is your is your model to go into the sort of more knowledge worker stuff or are you gonna stay in the frontline worker space?
2: Um, all the time? we've got a lot we've got a lot of space to cover in the frontline worker space. I think that's you know, um, I, I think that tends to be tends to be our clients, and, and I can see us. You know, we we do some knowledge. With probably five to ten percent of the the workers on our platform in any country are, are knowledge workers, but it's more it's more additionally, um, and honestly, it's it's more dealing with kind of remote work uh, topics, right? Because you can have your knowledge workers sort of log into the system and collaborate on the system. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's more as a, as a tool set for remote workers than specifically solving knowledge worker assignment internally or something like that.
1: Great. So uh, where would people want to get, if they would get hold of you, is the best place to go?
2: The best place would be our website, movo.co, M-O-V-O dot C-O. Also you can find me on LinkedIn at Jason Radisson.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.